Well, hello there. I hope you're up for some entertainment and chat. This is the podcast I wanted to hear when I called out sexual assaults from my past and endured the consequent legal and civil processes. Sometimes we look at those processes and focus on recovery and sometimes we're just up for a chat about other things. I'm Judy DL and I'm a radioactive cockroach. It's a weird identity. Cockroaches aren't much loved. People flinch. It's a visceral thing. Scurry under the fridge. They're recoiling, but they can't help it. And we really do understand. It's painful that we all live with this. And we appreciate you reaching out your hand. But are we radioactive? Well, we can't make things mutate, but we claim the state has caused the urban myth, says we'll outlive all of our mates. Oh yeah, survivors. I've often felt a bit cockroachy, a bit radioactive, and it turns out I'm far from alone. So, dart out from your crevice, scuttle out from under the fridge, and come and have a happy dance in the sunshine with us. Radioactive Cockroach is recorded with gratitude and respect for elders past, present and emerging on the land of the Jajawara. Sovereignty was never ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello there, Stutso. How's the Zoom for you? Zoom's okay, thanks, DL. It's kind of good and it's kind of bad. It'd be good if I could be with you in person, but at the same time, I am kind of comfy laying on my bed. Yeah, she's lying on her bed, listeners. She's got a nice stripy <laughs> pillowcase <laughs> and uh, headphones on. Oh, yes, Stutso, look at you. Staying in bed for me has looked like a pretty good idea and I've done it just for a day or two from time to time because I've been really preoccupied with all my processes around my civil and criminal issues at the moment and I've really been really tired and a bit worn out and really glad of the life I'm living up here in the Macedon Ranges. Those processes, they're what we call the spotlight. This episode we have declared it to be jive and we've shot it out. We're all about the comfort. So if you're looking for the best comforters around, you've come to the right place. Yeah, they have, haven't they? And we're talking about how comforting it is to do water things and we talk about all the different, well not all the different, we talk about a number of different ways that people engage with water for comfort and even therapy but I left out my favourite. Your favourite? What's your favourite? Snorkeling. Snorkeling? I adore it. Really? Yep, into the wetsuit, 
on with the flippers, look at the seaweed, look at the fish. And the year but, but, that Steve but, but, Irwin was killed, yep, I've never been bothered by stingrays. Stingrays are pretty, but this one came out from under a rock ledge six inches below my face and I bit the knob off the snorkel. I'm not surprised. See, that's <laughs> why I don't go snorkeling. Because that's the shark's house. And no, we no, 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 not where I go. I've <laughs> never seen a shark. While we are being comforting. We're going to keep it interesting. Book review. Our very first book review. Yeah. Promises, promises, I'm up with. Promises, promises now. I don't know how. I got the nerve. Yes, I have broken a few promises. Because for a while, Judy starts, I've been promising, and it's in the teeth of a little bit of lack of interest from you, but I have been promising that we will do this. Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport, the thrill of victory, and the agony of defeat. drama of athletic competition. Yeah, we we have got a sporting episode coming up and so I just I just have to say I'm really sorry not just to the listeners out there for not getting the edit up but to Marg and Ruby and Matt and Brenda and Lauren and Darren the people who actually gave me interviews to tell me about their wonderful sporty things that I know the cockroaches are going to are going to love. So I I just have to say yep. I didn't get the edit up. I just didn't get it up in time. It'll be there next time. I'm sorry. So sorry. That I was such a I was a bit of a fool to think I could do all of it. But this is, I think this is quite an interesting episode. It did take a while to get up because I've, Jenny, I've been really easily distracted. Well, we're all in lockdown, so it doesn't take much when you're essentially stuck at home 24-7 or 23-7. You know, I've got the, uh, at the moment, the intellectual capacity of a parsnip. Yeah, well, I've got the concentration span of a butterfly. When I get on YouTube to look for something to do for the podcast, suddenly there's a Ukrainian children's dance troupe and it's so cute. Um, And there's 15 minutes of my life. God. Well, I'm, I'm, it may be gone, but I'm sure it was well spent. I mean, you know, it's like people looking at cat videos and people say, why do you do the cat videos? And, yeah, it's harmless. It's, it's entertaining. Harmless. It is. And look, you know, this Ukrainian children's dance group is pretty impressive. But I should say that for future episodes, we're going to be talking to someone that you introduced me to. Jackie Pillar. Jackie Pillar. Now she's a bit of a comedian and a big bit anthropologist, something of an academic, and she's going to be bringing her PhD topic level insights into defamation, reputational damage. Judy Stutz, that sent me down a bit of a burrow. Brush up your Shakespeare. Start quoting him now. Brush up your Shakespeare. And no women, you will wow. Just declaim a few lines from Otella, and they'll think you're a hell of a fella. If yeah, you're I went running to Othello because there's a number of quotes there 
that seem to have informed our contemporary attitudes to the law of defamation. First of all, I found Casio in this rather pathetic state. Reputation! Oh, I have lost my reputation! I have lost the immortal part of myself and what remains is bestial, my reputation, Iago, my reputation! I'm an honest man, I thought you'd receive some bodily wounds. No. There's more of sense in that than in reputation. Reputation is an idle and most false imposition. Oft got without merit and lost without deserving. You've lost no reputation at all, unless you repute yourself such a loser. So that's Iago, who's the, the evil man, talking absolute sense, don't you think? Yes. The thing about this production of Othello, which is the National Theatre Live, and I can't recommend it highly enough, is they set it in a contemporary British military setting, like in Iraq or somewhere like that. And it really writ large all this stuff about reputational damage and made it very accessible and very real. Good name in man and woman, dear my lord, is the immediate jewel of their souls. Who steals my purse, steals trash. It is something, nothing. It was mine, tis his, and has been slave to thousands. But he that filches from me my good name robs me of that which not enriches him and makes me poor indeed. By heaven, I'll know thy thoughts. You cannot. If my so there's I Iago successfully persuading Othello to kind of lose the plot over the fact that there's some baseless rumour that his wife's been unfaithful. Judy Stutz, that bit about, oh, he filters my good name, our whole legal system seems to be predicated on that being true and yet it's the bit that's least true and least honest in the whole play. His first tirade about, oh, don't be so silly, Cassio, seems to be when he's being good and honest. I guess recently I've seen so many people who have done bad things rush to the court to sue people for defamation um, and then get all nervous because the people they sue say, well, I'm going with the truth here. Yeah. So we can look forward to much more meaningful discussions about the law of defamation and comedy and reputational damage with Jackie Piller. But we're also going to hear from another new friend of ours. My name's Gurdiga. <laughs> It's not a noise I'm making, that's my actual name. <laughs> <laughs> People mishear it and then guess it, like, what? Kombucha? <laughs> yeah, we're going to get Kritika's name right. We call her Krut or Kritika, but that's her name. And Judy, your name's Stutz. That is right, S-T-U-T-Z. And it's a name that's important to you. Well, I've had it all my life. My forebears were in Switzerland a few centuries ago and at that time uh, the Calvinists were ruling Switzerland and so they locked up all the Jews in one village with the idea is uh, if you want to get out of this little gulag, you'll have to convert. Uh, so, is, that, is that convert to PDF? Uh, no, convert to Christianity. Oh, well, baptized. actually, that's Calvinism. You only have to be locked up in a really shitty place for a while before you think, eh, 
let's convert, sort of. So you go along and let them convert you and you, you take your hat off and, you, you, you know, you dress like a Christian and you change your name. So you sound like a local, you've got a local name, everybody thinks you're German or you're Swiss and then over time you trot along the border across into Germany and then you get on a boat and then you pick a place as far away from Europe as you can, which turned out to be Australia, and you pull up into Bundaberg in 1856 and it's all good from there, but we're still the Stutzers. Although still the Stutz and your Jewish Stutzers. You that's right. We, yeah. we sort of, that Christian conversion didn't take. That didn't stick, <laughs> no. But someone forgot to tell the people who made the doco you're in. That's Next right. Up, Judy Stoltz. I met this man and he was handsome. So, yeah, met the handsome man, but it was Judy Stutz that met him, not... Next up, Judy Stoltz. I met this man. And they do it every handsome. time, Judy. <laughs> oh, no. And you, you weren't at all offended by that. And then, no, you know, no. And then you've thought about it. I've thought about it because, you know, it's been happening all my life from my... First grade teacher onwards, people give it a shot, you know, stutz, stultz, stultz. Uh, the only time I ever got upset was somebody called me sluts. And I okay. said, no, I'm not taking that one on board. Uh, but for the most part, you know, if they give it a shot, they get somewhere in the thing. I've always let it go. To, haven't even thought about it. It's never been an issue. But now that I actually think about it, especially after talking to you and Tika and so forth, it's it's actually kind of a big deal, really, isn't it? I, I mean, if people is. can't even get your name right, yeah. what sort of respect is that? My name's DL, and that's controversial too in how you pronounce it. Is it? DL or is it Dalziel? It's not actually the name I grew up with. I chose it when I became a podcaster. It's a family name, a maternal side of the family name and I really like it and it enables me to hide aspects of my identity while I go through all these legal and civil processes. The woman in whose memory I chose it, she was happy to go as Dalziel. It seemed to be what was happening but I did notice that the people who knew her when she was young and a young professional you were as Miss DL. So I think maybe that was her choice. So I'm choosing DL. But, you know, it's not like Stutz or DL. It's not like they're tongue twisters. But I do understand having to try a few times, and I'm okay with that because saying things aloud can be tricky. Sentencing, 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 it's going to keep coming up. Sentencing... Sentencing principle. No laughing. <laughs> so that's a little blooper from our editing <laughs> of me reading things aloud. Judy Deal reading aloud the Sentencing Act. Look, it struck me as a reason to be cheerful and we're looking for reasons to be cheerful, aren't we? So anything that lightens the mood I think is good right now. I think so. This viral clip lightened the mood for quite a lot of us. Hello and thank you for calling Movie Max Digital Cinemas to Maru. We are currently closed until... <laughs> Hello and thank you for calling Movie Max Digital Cinemas to Maru. We are currently closed until level two. You can see more... No, for fuck's sake. 
Hello, and thank you for calling Movie Max, Digital Cinemas, Timaru. We are currently closed until we reach level two. You can check our website for updates on... Oh, fuck me. <laughs> Hello, and thank you for calling Movie Max, Digital Cinemas, Timaru. We are currently closed until we reach level two. You can check our Facebook page and website for information on screening times and upcoming movies. Thank you. And he uploaded the whole lot. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, and the cinema was inundated with phone calls and emails saying, please don't discipline him. Please don't do anything to him bad. We love him. He's made all of us so much happier. Yeah, <laughs> it would. Oh, and, poor bugger. Yeah. <laughs> and... The other thing that, that's been a good reason to be cheerful, and around your way, you've got lots of wattles, haven't you still? Wattled everywhere. I mean, it's just that time of year. It's it wattle is. everywhere. It was wattle day. And a lot of people were putting up a poem online and attributing it to Spike Milligan. This was it. That concludes the reading of the Rolls Bruce. This is the wattle, the emblem of our land. You can stick it in a bottle, you can hold it in your hand. Amen. It's just on this theme of getting people's names right. Now, that's clearly not Spike Milligan, is it? No way. That is uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus, Philosopher's Bruce. Spike Milligan did write a rather lovely little anthem. I found it. It took me a while. It's in the middle of a 1971 documentary. Spike Milligan loved Australia. His parents lived in Woi Woi and he did all his writing here. And this is a doco that I remember seeing as a child and I just loved it because I was a huge fan of Spike. And he pivots all the way through from being the really earnest, passionate conservationist to the madcap comedian. And we're going to go out of our D.L. and Stutzo introduction today with Spike. Go and look at it on the YouTube video, which I'm linked, I've linked to on the Facebook page. So he's on the Opera House step steps and he's been cut going up and down the steps as if they're piano scales and this is the song that people are thinking of when they think of the Wattle Bruce song All that we can think of you <laughs> Australia Australia we love you from the heart the kidneys the liver and the giblets and every <laughs> other. Happy Wattle Day, cockroaches. Bye, Stutzo. Bye, Diel. Well, hey there, cockroaches. We've got a new segment right now, and I want to introduce it with this quick grab. From the late, great Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I ask no favour for my sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. That's a famous quote from her fight for the sexual discrimination legislation that really brought her to the public's attention. The Supreme Court of the US is not equivalent to the Supreme Court in Australia. It's more equivalent to the High Court. But there are important differences. While judicial appointments in the Westminster system are made by the government, in the US system, 
they are notoriously more politically charged. When Ruth Bader Ginsburg was appointed, she was viewed as a moderate consensus builder. But as court appointments drove the culture of the court increasingly to the right, Justice Ginsburg became known as the notorious RBG, the Great Dissenter. And so it's with great interest that I offer this first radioactive cockroach book review of Gideon Haig's The Brilliant Boy, Doc Evatt and the Great Australian Descent. We welcome the presenter, who is our very own Ian. Long-term listeners will remember his account of tripping on his robes and sprawling on the floor at the foot of the jury box in Victoria's Supreme Court when he was but a callow youth and a judge's associate. He's older and wiser now. Welcome to Radioactive Cockroach, Ian. We love a good book. Books, 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 I love books. Red books, green books, hard paperback books, storybooks set in Thanks, Jude. Hello, cockroaches. My name is Ian. Doc Evert. The name rolls off the tongue familiarly. But who was he? I can't say I knew much until I read Gideon Haig's compelling biography, The Brilliant Boy, Doc Evatt and the Great Australian Descent. Evatt was for a short time Labor's federal opposition leader in the Menzies era and played a significant role in the establishment of the United Nations. But Haig focuses instead on Evatt's legal career. He was indeed a brilliant boy, raised by his widowed mother with his seven brothers. His nickname Doc came from his early achievement of a PhD at the age of 24 and after a successful career as a barrister, he was appointed to the High Court at the very young age of 34. At the heart of this book is the story of Golda Chester and her legal claim, which Haig threads throughout the book. Haig uses the story to reveal Evert's concerns and humanity, while at the same time illuminating a fascinating aspect of the development of the law, or at least it's fascinating to me as a lawyer, and I hope it would be for you as well. In 1937, Maxie Chester was a seven-year-old boy, the youngest son of Polish immigrants living in inner-city Sydney. Dearly loved by his parents, his mother had high hopes for her brilliant boy. One Saturday afternoon, his brother and sister headed for the movies, leaving Maxie to play in the street outside the family home near Bondi. His parents were not aware that extensive roadworks nearby had left a deep trench in the road over the weekend, which had filled with water. When his brother and sister came home without Maxie, his parents were very worried. Friends and relatives scoured the streets looking for him, and he was eventually found drowned in that deep trench close to home. His mother Golda was present when his body was pulled from the water, hoping he would be alive. He was not. She was very distressed and never recovered from the shock of his loss and the sight of his lifeless body being pulled out of the trench. The trauma that Golda experienced and from which she never recovered, we would today recognise as PTSD, 
But in 1937, the understanding of psychiatric illness was still in its early stages, and Golder's illness was not well understood even by doctors and was treated generally with suspicion. Certainly the law had yet to come to grips with injuries of this sort. It was no surprise then that Golder's case failed, both at the initial trial and on appeal. But it was a case ripe for Doc Evatt to express his own views in the High Court. Doc Evatt's own brother Clive was the barrister who appeared for Golder, and Haig speculates that Clive and Doc might even have discussed the case before Doc heard it in the High Court. Three of the High Court judges were not prepared to extend the law to include Golder, as she had not seen her son actually die. One of those was the Chief Justice Latham, who exemplified what Haig describes as an affectless approach, exemplified by their failure to even use the names of the family affected by this tragedy. The Chief Justice described Maxie's death and his mother's response in this cold way. Death is not an infrequent event, and even violent and distressing deaths are not uncommon. He reasoned that it could not be expected that the spectacle of a sudden and distressing death of a child produces any consequence of more than a temporary nature, even of close relatives who see the body after death has taken place. So sadly, Golda Chester lost her appeal. But Everett seized the opportunity to make a statement of how he considered the law should support Golda's claim, and in so doing he laid the foundation for the modern approach to these nervous shock claims. While his legal judgment is erudite, it is also compassionate and understanding. A loving father of two adopted children, he shows that he knows and cares for children, describing the ditch as an irresistible combination of sand and water that brought the children in the neighbourhood to play at the side of the pool. In an extended passage, he describes Golda's evidence in a sympathetic way, entering into her agony and understanding that, like most mothers in a similar situation, she was tortured between the fear that he had been drowned and the hope that he might be saved from death. In a paragraph which pointedly contrasts with the emotionless approach of the majority and reflects his own experience as a parent, he asserts that Golda's state of mind can only be completely understood by parents who have been placed in a similar agony of hope and fear, with hope gradually decreasing. Evert was a lover of literature and chose to illustrate the poignancy of the experience of the death of a child by including in his judgment extracts from a poem by Blake and from the novel Such is Life by Joseph Furphy, which both spoke of the loss of children in tender and deeply emotional language, not the usual approach of a legal judgment. I was deeply moved by Haig's telling of the story of Max and Golda and Evert's legal and human response to it. It gave me a great insight into who Evert was and what was important to him. There's a great deal else in the book. Some of it will satisfy the legal nerd, 
such as insights into the personalities of the High Court judges of the time. But there's plenty also to feed your understanding of an Australia changing in that seminal time between the wars and the role that Bert Doc Evatt played in that time. I highly recommend The Brilliant Boy. Thank you, Ian, for bringing us that review of a book that reminds us that there are people in powerful places who choose compassion. Cultural change never comes too soon to our legislative bodies, but it's never too late to demand it and achieve it. And if you like books, you can recommend them to all the other cockroaches. Email's a good method. You can send me a link to an audio file or ask to make a time to record over Zoom or some such. That's judycockroach at gmail.com. J-U-D-Y-C-O-C-K-R-O-A-C-H, all lowercase. judycockroach at gmail.com. One, two, three. Splish, splash, I was taking a bath. Long about a Saturday night. Yeah, rubbed up, just relaxing in the tub. Thinking everything was alright. Well, I stepped out the tub, I so, put my feet on the floor. Dude, here's the thing. That's about a party and a bath that were not going well together. And But there's this thing that about hot tubs going well. Communally uh, at parties. No Are we such, having that? No, no, no. Sorry, there's no such thing as good hot tub. That they are the most horrendous ideas on the planet. They cram all these unpleasant people into lukewarm water. People who've been drinking. It's not like the Japanese tradition. It's not like they've got clean first. Exactly, and they never seem to get out to pee. Oh, don't talk about it. Oh, look, I'm I'm stunning. My gorge is rising, Judy Studs. We've got the got the message. But in my in my extreme youth, when I was a chorister that sang in concerts, um, and we're all young university students, spas were the thing. And if you oh. were an eastern suburbs kid whose mum had a spa, she was hosting the party, and we used to. Sing. This is essentially the sound of the Adelaide University Choral Society recorded a few years ago singing a song that we were singing after a concert in the spa at the post-concert party and this is how much fun it is being an alto. Joy of joys, when I squeeze you, you make noise. rub a ducky you're my very best friend, it's true. You definitely get the gist. So, Stutzo, would you have called the cops? 
Absolutely, no question. Uh, I'd have called every policeman on the planet. I'd have called the army, the navy, and anybody else who'd listen. Come and stop the travesty. It was stopped. It was stopped slowly from one end of the, the spa pool to the other and I was the last to stop and glance up and see the officers there and we, we did concede that it might be a little bit much for the neighbours. It was far from being... Therapeutic. Missed it by a long shot. <laughs> Leaving behind, Judy, the contaminated Petri dish that is the communal spa, is there another communal water place that you might attend? Oh, yeah, look, the local swimming pool. I used to do it three times a week. Because the theory is this is highly therapeutic and there's this guy in America and you can pay a lot of money for this wisdom. Certain swimming technique based on total immersion method of swimming with meditative techniques We help people to physically balance in the water, to become longer and leaner in the water, and to move in a more flowing, uh, gliding way through the water with less effort. As far as the meditative uh, aspect of releasing tension, stress, fears, we work on relaxation methods and breathing methods and different ways of letting go. Now, am I right in thinking that he's just describing competent swimming, that when you swim competently, you are A, immersed in the water, B, gliding through it, and C, sort of lengthening your muscles, and D, breathing in a really mindful and controlled way? Yes. In fact, if you want that sort of teaching, then join your local swimming club and do your bronze battalion for like a millionth of the price that this guy's charging. Yeah, well, that's, I what, I, that's what I thought. If, on the other hand, you want to get in the water, experience mild panic and use a lot of energy, just do what I do, which is swim really, really badly. I get a workout <laughs> in a tenth of the time of any competent swimmer. So if if you're doing your strokes right and focusing on your body, does this do what my competent swimming friends say? That I've had a hideous day at the hospital and... If I do 50 laps between hospital and home, I feel re-energised, refocused and slough off so much of what was stressful during the day before I hit home? Oh, yeah, there's no question. Uh, just uh, And you don't have to go that far. Even just 10 laps will do it for you. Well, whatever it's, tires it's, you out, I reckon. <laughs> it's just a matter of you just jumping in, you're focusing on your kicking, you're focusing on uh, your arms and your breathing and you just keep going till till you're ready to stop. And you will um, discover that it is. Therapeutic. And we go home feeling better. Oh, that yes, sounds so absolutely. cool. That sounds so cool. When COVID lifts, I might join a class that is for total beginners. There are these things oh, for older people. Them. They yeah. have them for grown-ups. And then if I go to a total beginners class and pretend I can't do anything and start again, I might enjoy it. Yes, you might. Who knows? You may overtake me one day.
This summer I might have drowned But I held my breath and I kicked my feet And I moved my arms around Moved my arms around This summer I swam in the ocean And I swam in a swimming pool So I lose chlorine my eyes I'm a self-destructive fool I'm a self-destructive fool When we swim around here, we tend to go a little bit further away from the communal spa and we go swimming in a lake. Lakes are good. Lakes Wild are good. Swimming. i got no problem with lakes. No, and we uh, can – I avoid rivers because I don't know the currents and I was just brought up being yelled at to stay away from that irrigation channel, you will die. So lakes are good, I figure. Lakes are good. Yeah, no problem with lakes except in winter. Well, there are people out there with solid science behind them suggesting that getting swimming in really, really cold water um, or even getting under the shower, but I can't see the point in that. If you're going to do it, you might as well go out into nature and get the nature therapy. But it apparently gives you this adrenaline hit that helps your body adjust to the adrenaline of anxiety in a, in a healthy way and leaves you quite euphoric. Um, but it's a bit like being told to eat your placenta to avoid postnatal depression i think i'd rather take the pills where are you on that yeah look i I take the pill really i think give me the antidepressant i mean i just cold water swimming i i just couldn't think i mean best way to have a heart attack i reckon no sorry not Not for for you not for you and not for me pass me my wetsuit i'll be a lot happier but the science is there um, the science is there, and I do respect science and the science that tells us that this is therapeutic. I'll acknowledge that science is valid, and I'll um, the verdict from radioactive cockroaches: if wild swimming's for you in very cold water, do it with supervision. Don't do it by yourself. Preferably a wetsuit. Yeah, it's <laughs> I think that I think that's a therapeutic oxymoron, Judy. <laughs> but uh, look, here they are. But it does sound to me like they've joined a cult. So it's just been reborn. <laughs> the pain in the hands and the feet has taken away from the, I guess, the exhilaration in the head. If you can get past the thought process of actually just doing it and just go for it and just do it. Honestly, the benefits and the achievement that you get from it is just so worthwhile. Like right now, I feel like exhilarated and ready to go, like just like kind of seize the day. And then you'll want to do it again and again and again. Does it sound to you like they've joined a cult, Judy? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so that's wild fresh water. We're all for it within reason. But we're Australian and there's something in our culture that insists on us doing this. No, no. No, you not, no, not haven't been obedient no, to that one? Yeah, no. not even body surfing? Uh, no, no? anything in the ocean. Oh. Um, that, that is the home of the sharks. Yeah. That's where they live, that's their house. The sharks have yet to invite me to visit their house and so I don't go. Okay. Look, that's fair enough position. 
I don't tend to be a surf swimmer because I can't do it, never learned, and I know that, you know, there are people that it gives life to, but I've only got three friends that have broken their necks and it didn't kill them, but it took a long time to recover and all three of them did it as adventurous middle-aged people in the surf and so I'm skipping that. You're skipping the sharks. I'm skipping the broken neck. I guess the cockroach verdict on surfing is if you're good at it and brave enough and you're happy, go for it. At your own risk. Don't sue us. Yep, don't sue us. And that's the advice from the skydiving addict. And I pull the ripcord with my usual joie de vivre. (laughs) Nothing happens. Well, I'm still falling at 200 miles an hour and my romance is looking like it's going to end in a splat. (laughs) Luckily... My brain engaged before my bowels. <laughs> and it said, hey, moron, you've got a reserve chute for just such an emergency. Oh, OK. So... Oh, Ooh, I'm not going to die. That's always good. So that's our, our very own Statso at the Highlander. Jumping from planes is all too much for me. Um... I think I'll just revert to the rubber ducky and the bathtub and seek solace there. Given a fully charged iPad, I can spend a very long, comforting and productive time in a bath But at some stage, you have to acknowledge that there are essential tasks that cannot be performed in the bath. Yeah, look, if you don't get out of the bath at some stage, You might wind up like these characters, that the two galactic hitchhikers created by the late and greatly lamented Douglas Adams encountered. Captain Sir! Ah, hello, number two. Having a nice day? I've brought you the prisoners. I'm located in Freezer Bay 7, sir. Uh, hello. 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 Excuse me not getting up. I'm just having a quick bath. Well, uh, gin and tonics all round then. Look in the fridge, number one. Certainly, sir. Don't you want to interrogate the prisoners, sir? Now, why on earth would I want to do that? To get information out of them, sir. Find out why they came here, sir. I expect they just dropped in for a quick gin and tonic, don't you? But, sir, they're my prisoners. Can't I just interrogate them a little bit? No, all right, if you must. Ask them what they want to drink. Oh, thank you, sir. All right, you scum! You vermin! Go steady on, number two. What do you want to drink? Well, the gin and tonic sounds very nice to me. Arthur? What? Oh, oh yes. With ice or without? Oh, with, please. Lemon? Oh, yes, please. And do you have any of those little biscuits? You know, the cheesy ones. I'm asking the question. And uh, number two. Sir! Uh, Push off, would you? There's a good chap. I'm trying to have a relaxing bath. Sir! 
May I remind you that you have now been in that bath for over three years? Yes, well, you need to relax a lot in a job like mine. What's going on? They did eventually work out what was going on, but not while they were in the bath. But I do love the comfort, the solitude, the focus and everything else that comes with a relaxing bath. I find a simple pleasure when I've had a tiring day in the bath, in the bath, where the noise of gentle sponging seems to blend with my top A in the bath, in the bath, to the skirl of pipes vibrating in the boiler room below, I sing a potpourri of all the songs I used to know, and the water thunders in and gurgles down the overflow, in the bath, in the bath. The loathing for my fellows rises steaming from my brain in the bath, in the bath, and condenses to the milk of human kindness once again in the bath, in the bath. The tingling of the scrubbing brush, the flannel soft caress, to wield a lordly loofah is a joy I can't express. How truly it is spoken one is next to godliness in the bath, in the bath. Then there comes that dreadful moment when the water's running cold in the bath, in the bath. The soap is lost forever and I'm feeling tired and old in the bath, in the bath. It's time to pull the plug out, to mop the bathroom floor. The towel is in the cupboard and the cupboard is next door. It started running hot, I'll have another hour or more in the bath, in the bath. I can see the one salvation of the poor old human race In the bath, in the bath Let the nations of the world all meet together face to face In the bath, in the bath One with Putin, Biden, Xi Jinping and all those other chaps I'm gonna Jacinta, then we'll have some peace perhaps Providing Boris Johnson gets the end without the taps In the bath, in the bath Ah, well, that was the also late and lamented Michael Flanders and Donald Swan's song, In the Bath. And I'm not sure we shouldn't all embrace the humble bathroom with a simple bath and a simple basin and sing along with another late, great, lamented comic, Peter Sellers. You are the promised kiss of springtime what makes the lonely winter seem long you are the breathless hush of evening that trembles on the brink of a lovely song You are the angel glow That lights the star The dearest things I know Are what you are Someday, my happy arms 
Once without you ain't sound I, I'll know that moment divine When all the things you are I can't get a shaving piece in this house. Oh. Lonely winter. Oh. Never alone with a rubber duck. <laughs> Whee! <clears throat> uh, if we could for a moment move on to the subject of fiscal policy. Fiscal policy? <laughs>